I hope you took the time to really watch that uh, sermon bumper right there. Because it reminds us of what we are called to do as children of God. We're called to love and to care. And we don't have the option of choosing who it's going to be. We can't say, well, I like them because they're like us, or I don't like them because he's not like me. I like her because she agrees with me. I don't like him because he doesn't agree with me. We're simply called to love and to care. And that's what really our message is about this morning. But before we get there, as usual, I have some housekeeping things to do. And uh, in 2019, we as a church have been going through the Bible, both in our life groups and in our sermon series. And we've just kind of been working our way through. And we're almost at the end of the Old Testament and about ready to move into the New Testament, which means the book that you use in your life groups is about to run out and you need to get a new one. So this new one, uh, volume five, is available. You can get it in your life group. You can get it at the counters out in the concourse and in the lobby out at Midlothian. Uh, But what this one does, it moves us into the Gospels. And so some great lessons in here about the birth of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, uh, of course, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. But all of that is in the next volume that we're doing. So make sure you get that volume and you uh, catch up and know what's going on. It'll be very helpful to you. Uh, Second announcement applies to the folks at Colonial Heights. So those of you who are on our Midlothian campus, you just talk among yourselves for just a moment while I share here. We're very excited that we're uh, creating, starting a new young adults life group that's going to be meeting on campus here starting next Sunday, July 28th. They're going to be meeting, let me make sure I get it right, during the 1045 hour in room C100. So if you are a young adult or you know of some, let them know that we've got that coming up. All right, Midloth, you need to pay attention again. Get your eyes back up here. Because I want to tell you something, this past week has been amazing here on campus. We had a campus filled with children and with volunteers as we had both wind shape and our kid neck going on. And I just want to share with you and give you kind of an update on some of that related to the wind shape program that we put on. Uh, we averaged over 200 kids in wind shape. Now that doesn't count the preschoolers. That's just the grade school and middle school age children that were involved in this. On Friday, uh, we had the Chick-fil-A Family Fun Day. We had 176 parents who joined with our kids here, and we had over 400 people here on campus taking part and being involved in that. Yeah, give a round of applause. And now we want to thank our children's pastor, Eric Heatherly, and uh, Melissa Paez, his assistant, and all the folks. We had a tremendous number of volunteers in addition to the wind-shaped folks that they sent, our own folks volunteered and helped out in that. And here's the great news. We had 17 salvation decisions this week. <laughs> An exciting time. <coughs> Excuse me. For those of you that don't know who I am, I am Mike Osborne. I am the executive pastor here at the church. And It's my joy and privilege to be able to fill in for Pastor Randy today as he's away on some much-needed vacation time. As I said, we've been working our way through the Bible here in 2019, and today we come to two contemporaries named Ezra and Nehemiah. (coughs) Excuse me, just to put it into a historical time frame, remind you of where we are in the whole process, uh, 
the Hebrew people had divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom, Israel, southern kingdom, Judah. Well, Assyria came along and defeated the northern kingdom, took them into captivity, brought them into exile, scattered them all through the Assyrian Empire. And then several years later, the Babylonians came along and they defeated the southern kingdom, Judah. And they took them into captivity as well. But they didn't scatter them quite like the Assyrians did. They just brought them out of their land more or less in bulk. And so that's kind of where we're picking up on it today. And that's where we pick it up with Ezra and Nehemiah. Because what has happened right now is the Persians have come and defeated the Babylonians. And the Persian king has issued an edict that allows the Hebrew children to go back to their home country, to go back to Jerusalem and the surrounding region and rebuild. (coughs) So many of them have gone back to do that. Problem is, as they get back, they encounter difficulties, they encounter problems, and they've become discouraged by all of this. And so that's the process of what's going on. And today we're going to look at Ezra and Nehemiah, two men who are called up by God to go back and to rebuild the city, rebuild the worship, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls, and help the people to be restored. And it's a a message of restoration, and it's a message of God at work in all of this, and how God is a God of restoration. And our lesson in our booklet, the one that our life group teachers are using today, really does a great job of describing this idea of restoration. So I'm not going to dwell on that today. I'm not going to steal their thunder in any way. (coughs) Excuse me. But I'm going to actually drill down a little bit into Nehemiah and look at a characteristic of Nehemiah that should be evident and should be a part of every Christian's life. Now, those of you here today and watching, you're, you're... Those of you that are sharp anyway and quick and observant have noticed that the preacher is wearing a ball cap. How many noticed that? All right, good 60, 70% of you. All right. It's not a usual attire for the preacher on Sunday morning, but uh, as you're looking at it, you're thinking, okay, either he's losing it and he forgot to take his cap off, and that's always a possibility with me, or... It's part of the sermon. Well, today it's part of the sermon. I don't know if you can all see what it says, but it says, who cares? I actually found this hat last weekend at a vendor's mart down in Clarksville, and I thought, I got to have it. It goes along with my sermon. Who cares? I'm going to be honest with you. In life, there's a whole lot of folks who don't care about you at all. They don't care what's going on in your life. They don't care what you're thinking about. In fact, we see it all the time. There are folks who just don't want to hear that. Thank you, Liz. There are folks who just don't want to hear about your issues and your problems. used to be in in olden days, we'd do it by holding up a newspaper in front of us. Now we stick in the earbuds and crank up the iPhone and we just kind of drift away and we don't look at anybody. We don't listen to anybody. You know, I, I fly a lot or have flown a lot through the years And it's amazing how sometimes you sit down by somebody and it's almost like you can feel that invisible barrier coming up. They're just shutting you out. They don't want to talk to you and they don't want to find out anything about you in all of that. It's kind of like, who does care? Who really cares about you in all of this? And I'm going to tell you something. Even when people ask you, how you doing? They don't want to know. (laughs) 
the acceptable answers are fine, getting by, and if you want to get really in-depth, could be better. That's all they want to hear, and they don't want you to go any further with it. And if you try to tell them what's going on in your life, they're going to find that exit ramp off of that conversation as quickly as they can. But, you know, as we think about it, we just came through communion, right? We just took a moment to partake of the bread and the juice in remembrance of what Christ did for us. And in the midst of all of that is the message, God cares. God cares about us. And if you and I are created in the image of God, we are called to care also. We're to care about people. And as we look at the life of Nehemiah, we discover someone who cares. And it causes us to look at our own lives and ask the question, do we really care? I want you to take your Bibles today and open up to the very first chapter, the very beginning of the book of Nehemiah. Now at this time, remember, a lot of the folks have gone back into Judah. A lot of them have gone back to Jerusalem. But Nehemiah is still living in what is now part of the Persian Empire. He's still living in the palace at Susa. And so in chapter 1, verse 1, we find these words. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, during the month of Kislev in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down, and its gates have been burned. As we think about the question, do we really care? And as we begin to break that out, what we get from Nehemiah is this question. Do we care enough to ask? Do we care enough to ask others what's going on in their lives? Do we care enough to ask other people about their spiritual condition, about their relationship with God? You know, you and I are walking through a world that is just overpopulated with people that don't know Jesus. People that are lost and headed in the wrong direction. People who are living this life on this earth without Jesus. But more importantly, they're on their way to eternity forever separated from Jesus. Forever separated from God. Do we take the time to ask them? Our mission statement here as a church is building relationships that connect all people to God-sized life and love. That's our mission as a church, and by extension, it is the mission of the body of believers that worship and gather in the name of the Heights Baptist Church. Well, how do you build relationships? You build it by asking. You build it by talking. You build it by finding out where people are and what they're dealing with and what they're struggling with and how you can help them to do life and how you can do life alongside them. 
many years ago, several of us from the church here went down to a pastor's conference in Jacksonville, Florida. While we were there, we heard some of the best preaching you'll ever hear in your life. And we sat in seminars with some of the greatest pastors and teachers and leaders. But the one seminar that I remember most of all didn't have a pastor teaching it, didn't have a seminary professor teaching it. It had a tennis coach teaching it. A young lady who was a volunteer at the church and who may be one of the greatest witnesses for God I've ever met. But she's told us, she said, as I walk through life, as I go to the mall, as I go to store shopping, as I walk down the street, as I go to the tennis courts, she said, everybody I meet, I picture them having a big L on their forehead. Not for loser, but for lost. She said, I assume first that they're lost, and I look for the opportunity to talk to them and find out if they are or they aren't. And if I find out that they are, then I pray and find the opportunity to tell them about the Jesus that I met and I discovered and who forever changed my life. Do you hear what she's saying? She's saying, I cared enough to ask. How about us? Do we care enough to ask? Do we care enough to ask people about their pains and their hurts and their anguish and the struggles they're going through? Jesus did. In Mark chapter 5, we find the story recorded of Jesus and his disciples making their way through the mass of crowd and they're all closed in and just trying to squeeze through and get through and all of a sudden Jesus asks a question. Who touched the hem of my garment? Who touched my robe? And the disciples go, come on, Jesus. How can we know? Look at all the people. Just move on. Okay, that's my paraphrase. But as they, there, Jesus goes, no, someone touched. Jesus recognized there was someone who had a need. There was someone who had a hurt. There was someone who needed healing. And he asked the question. And so I ask you, do we care enough to ask? So, Nehemiah asked the question. The answer wasn't real encouraging, was it? The remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. So, Nehemiah asked the question. Where does that take him? Well, look at verse 4. He says, when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. Now we could list a bunch of things right here, but I want to headline it and ask you the question. Do you care enough to pray? Now I'm not talking about a prayer that is a checkoff box on your to-do list for the day. I'm talking about the kind of prayer that uh, Nehemiah prayed here. He says, I wept, I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed. See, what Nehemiah is experiencing here is the kind of prayer that just shakes him to the very uh, fiber of his being. It is the kind of prayer that causes him 
to fall prostrate before God and to lift up his voice in prayer, knowing that apart from God, there is no answer. There is no solution. This whole thing is so overwhelming that there's nothing he can do. It is only what God can do. And so I ask us, do we care enough to pray? To pray like that. When was the last time you and I fell broken before God on our knees with that kind of anguish, with that kind of hurt for somebody else? Remember, Nehemiah had things pretty well. He was living in the palace. And, well, let's be honest, as long as nobody wanted to poison the king, he had a pretty good life as cupbearer. And we had a pretty good king here, this Persian king who had let the Hebrew people go back. Everybody kind of liked him. So things are going well. He could have stayed in his own lane. He could have kept doing the things that he was doing and said, oh, well, that's bad for them. But no, he wept and mourned and fasted and prayed. When was the last time you prayed like that? When was the last time I prayed like that? Many years ago, Sue and I went to England as part of a large group that did kind of mini crusades all around the country of England. And we were working out of a little church that uh, didn't have any young people. They had a young pastor, and then the next age up was like 75. They had no children, you know, no youth, nobody in there. And God brought us into that situation with a team of young people. That's who I had with me. And so we got in there, and God opened up doors and let us get into the schools, and the kids started coming to the crusades, and we started seeing these uh, teenagers, these high school students getting saved. And then one night, we had a little girl who came with her big brother. He'd been one of our first uh, converts, and she came with him this night. She's nine years old. And we gave the invitation, she came forward. Now, this is her first time ever being in a church building, her first time ever hearing the message of the gospel. Nine years old, she comes forward. Every night after the services, we would have a fellowship time back in their fellowship hall and talk with the people and counsel some more with the ones who'd made decisions. And to be honest, we saw more people getting saved in the fellowship time than we did in the services. But on this particular night, the pastor, Pastor Adrian, and I, we wanted to talk to this little girl because we were a little concerned that she'd just done what her big brother had done that she didn't understand what it was to give her heart, to give her life to Jesus. And so we began to look for her, and we couldn't find her anywhere. And so we're kind of searching through the whole church building there, and we, we step into the sanctuary, and it's dark in there. It's only lit by the light coming in from the, through the doorway from the fellowship hall. And first we don't see anybody, and then we hear sobbing. I mean, just heartfelt, anguished, weeping. And we walk in a little further, and here's this nine-year-old girl laying face down on the steps of the pulpit area. And she's crying out to God and begging God to save her mama and her daddy. Begging God to bring to them the knowledge of who he is like he did for her. She's crying out to him to save them and to let them have the same experience she's just had. And I stood there dumbfounded, speechless. And two things went through my head. First, I think she understood. And secondly, when was the last time I had prayed like that for somebody else?
or somebody's spiritual condition. How about you? When was the last time you prayed like that? Do you care enough to pray? Well, Nehemiah cared enough to ask. He cared enough to pray, but what do you do then? Well, let's look over into the second chapter of Nehemiah. Beginning in verse 1 of the second chapter. It says, During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I'd never been sad in his presence, so the king said to me, Why are you sad when you aren't sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, May the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king asked me, What is your request? So I prayed to the God of the heavens and answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. Do you care enough to ask? Do you care enough to pray? And do you care enough to act? To do something? You know, God tells his people, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send laborers. And that's a prayer we should pray. But actually, tucked into that prayer is the assumption that you and I will be among those harvesters, among those who go. Jill Briscoe wrote a book 35 years ago. The title of it is, Here Am I, Send Aaron. Yeah, we all kind of identify with that a little bit, don't we? We understand that. Obviously, it comes out of the story of Moses and his reluctance to follow the call God was placing on his life to go back into Egypt and bring the people out. But I think many of us have kind of been there before. Boy, somebody needs to do something. Send her. Send him. Lord, I'll stay here and pray. When I first went in the ministry 40 years ago, I had started at my very first church, had not started seminary yet. I had a business degree, an accounting degree. I mean, I'm prepared for spiritual things. So I started work on a Monday, had not had my first real sermon as a pastor yet. And I get called to the hospital. Ninety-some-year-old woman, member of our church, is in ICU. I get there, and the first thing that happens is the doctor, her attending physician, calls me aside. Takes me back into a little room, and he says, I need you to do something. And Okay, what do you need me to do? Add up some numbers for you? I can do that, you know. He said, no, this family, in their grief and shock, said, We want you to do anything to keep her alive. And he says, that's not what she needs. He said, she needs to be able to go peacefully to be with the Lord. And he said, you need to go in there and talk them out of what they've signed up for. 
and talk them into doing a do not resuscitate order. Now remember, I'm two, three days into the ministry. We haven't even unpacked stuff in the parsonage yet. I have no clue what to do in this situation. And I'm standing there, terrified. And in the room with us is his nurse. And she says to me, she says, Pastor, I'm the wife of the Methodist minister at Main Street Methodist Church. She said, would you like me to go in the room with you when you talk to her? And I thought to myself, I do not want you to go in the room with me. I want you to go in the room instead of me. Here I am, Lord. Send Aaron. That's right, Donnie. He sent me in. You know, we need to be more like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. God says, who will go? Who can I send? And what does Isaiah say? Me, 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 send me. Again, Mike's translation. No, he goes, send me. I'm ready to go into this. We've got to be willing to act. Greg Matt, who is pastor of the First Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, has written a book called Disciple. Um, let me make sure I get it right. This Disciple Maker, not Disciple. I want to do Disciple. Difference Makers. Preacher always ends up, D word becomes Disciple. Difference Makers, Living a Life of Influence and Purpose. And in that book, he has a Difference Makers Declaration. And I think we're going to pull it up here on our screen and look at it. I want you to look at it. I was made for more than watching. I have a history-changing, difference-making, life-giving, spirit-empowered legacy to leave. Jesus, I ask you to work deeply in me and clearly through me as I pray, give, and go in your love. I am a difference maker. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to focus on that very first part of it. I was made for more than watching. Folks, you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I as believers were created to be more than just watchers. We were created to act. We were created to care in all of this. I mean, that statement just struck me. I was made for more than watching. And that caused me to reword our three questions that we started with and list them like this. Will I care enough to ask? Will I care enough to pray? Will I care enough to ask? You see, Nehemiah was one man who cared enough to do all three of those things. And out of that, God used him and uh, Ezra in a mighty way to change a city, to change a culture, to change a country, to change a people. If you and I will care in the way that God has called us and instructed us to care, The Heights Baptist Church 
will be the church that the 804 cannot imagine being without. We will make a difference in what we're doing, but we've got to care. We've got to ask. For many of us here today, most of us here today, the question that comes out of this is, will we care enough? That's a challenge God's placing on our hearts and lives. But there's some of us sitting in one of the seats in Colonial Heights campus, sitting in a seat in the Midlothian campus, maybe sitting in a seat in a coffee shop, listening to this on their iPhone, or maybe they're uh, on vacation and they're gathered in their living room on vacation with their family, looking at it on TV through live stream. But what you really need to hear today is that Jesus cares enough. I mean, you're in a time, a situation, a place in your life where you're hurting and you need to know that there's somebody who cares. Well, let me tell you, there is. That somebody is Jesus. As we partook of the bread and of the juice, we were reminded again of that. We were reminded of it in the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, that God is a God of restoration. God is a God that wants to bring about peace in our lives. God is a God who wants us to have life as it was intended. Understand, Jesus cares enough. He cares enough that he left heaven and came to earth. He cares enough that he went to the cross and bled and died for our sins. He cares enough that he rose defeating death, sin, and the grave. And that he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father and makes intercession for us. Jesus cares. Hear me, folks. Jesus cares. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Father, we come as a people who have been challenged. Challenged to look at our own lives and ask that question, do we care? Do we care enough? Do we understand, Lord, that we have been created for more than just watching? You have called us to be doers. And then, Father, do we care for those who are hurting, for those who are lost, for those who are struggling? Do we really care? And then, Father, for some of us, you're reaching out into a hurting heart, a broken life, an empty life, and you're saying, I care. Father, show us how we're to respond to your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.